What if I told you that your store was dumb? All right, let me rephrase that. What if I told you that your store could be a little smarter? I'm talking about Bold's new app, The Brain. In the brief period, it's been live. It's been making a massive amount of money for stores. So The Brain is this app that uses machine learning to make your store smarter. And one of the ways it works today is by displaying recommended products on your store beside any other product. Not just the dumb, these things are in a collection together, but actual recommendations based on purchase data. It's probably already the best recommended products app for Shopify, and they're just getting started. So my favorite feature actually has nothing to do with, with that. It's their integration with their other apps, and specifically their product upsell app. So if you have both, it makes your upsell offers smart. So you've got product upsell installed, you install Bold Brain, and now imagine this. Upsell offers just create themselves, but not just automatically get created. They get better than you could ever create them yourself because they're based on this machine learning data. The results from the early adopters are in two, and some stores are seeing more conversions in a month than they used to see in an entire year. Now here they've got a couple other integrations coming down the pipe too. It integrates with Recurring Orders app and the Loyalties app. So you should check it out now. I guarantee that machine learning and e-commerce is going to be huge. And the stores that adopt it now will have the advantage. Bold's Brain app is simply the easiest way to do that. It's free. You can install it right now by going to brain.boldapps.net. That's brain.boldapps.net. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You know the benefit of SEO. The higher you rank in search engines, the more visitors your store will have. And more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do that? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines. And it's trusted by thousands of Shopify stores. It leads the market in both innovation and usability. And it's no wonder. SEO Manager adds an entire suite of tools to help attract new customers by fully optimizing your store. So here's a few of my favorites. It scans your site for SEO issues, offers keyword suggestions, adds structured data support, analyzes missing pages and redirects, and it even integrates with Kit, Shopify's personal marketing assistant. And that's not all. It does a whole bunch of more stuff. All of these things will help you to be easily found in Google and other search engines. And best of all, it's easy to get started. You can launch SEO Manager on your store in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Plus, as a special offer to our listeners, you can get SEO Manager right now for 10% off forever. Sign up at seomanager.com slash unofficial. That's seomanager.com slash unofficial. Hello and welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. We're recording from beautiful, scenic Skokie, Illinois, high above Old Orchard Mall, a Westfield Mall, a fine institution. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, and today we're going to talk about the law. Yes, I promise, I have avoided talking about law or you know interviewing a lawyer on the show for fear of it being a boring topic. Today's guest is... A, a lawyer, an internet lawyer. I like the positioning there, right? Internet lawyer. I'm like, okay, I got to know more about that. But certainly, you know, cruising through uh, Facebook forums, uh, Shopify forums, you see people who have, you know, they get their products ripped off. Um, there are, there are legal implications, right? In running 
any kind of business, let alone an online business or an e-commerce business. So we could we could quickly sort through some of those things if we have an expert. And fortunately, I have found an expert who quite enjoys the dad jokes, which I, I appreciate. Um, <laughs> and his name is Richard Chapo. And this is a topic that is is soon to become near and dear to my heart, and we'll get into that later. Uh, Richard Chapo, not to be confused with El Chapo. And Richard is a business lawyer in San Diego. Oh, good. He's in the the general larger – you know, he's near to Silicon Valley without being right in it. Good. He's been practicing for 25 years, advises small and large online businesses, right? That's us, on how to best comply with laws applicable to conducting businesses. So we're going to be talking DMCA, S-Corps, LLC, maybe even FTC with our friend Richard, who is a hockey fan, avid traveler, and has lived in – even lived in Siberia. So quite the gentleman. Richard, thank you. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me on. I have to hire you as my uh, public relations agent. <laughs> yeah, those I've gotten. You know, we're on like episode one fifty. I do those intros off the top of my head, and I, I think I'm pretty good at it. I quite enjoy it. I think I'm gonna have to take you along on some dates too, if you could uh, speak with my uh, <laughs> counterpart. Oh, sure. Are, are you sure to meet Richard? Yes. Okay. Let me <laughs> so let me introduce him. Like, are you Richard? No, no, I'm not. I'm representing Richard for the time being. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, I'm sure that that's a good gig. They would not forget that date. That would be memorable. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> uh, all right. So, number one, what what do you do? Who's the who do you help? What what's the deal here? Why why does an internet lawyer need to exist? Uh, internet lawyers need to exist because um, the law is an antiquated, slowly evolving subject, and the internet is a fast uh, evolving subject. And so the question becomes. Um, you know, when there are disputes or issues with intellectual property or people ripping off your stuff, you know, how are we going to handle that online? And uh, internet law, there really isn't anything called internet law. It's just really a collection of other laws like copyright, trademark, um, issues of that sort. And it's all combined together and, you, you know, often you need help with that to try to deal with these kinds of situations. So that's why internet law exists. Okay. So on day one, I'm going to start my business and I've got a few options when I initially start that business. And this is where things immediately are, can be intimidating if you don't know quite what's going on. You can operate as a sole proprietor. You can establish a limited liability corporation, an LLC, uh, or it's what, what I have as an LLC, or you can, the other typical one would be an S corp, right? Correct. Yes. When you start out, um, you know, the, uh, the standard legal answer you'll hear from a lawyer is form a business entity right away. And that's, uh, that's, you know, valuable advice. Of course, why cash flow? Well, the idea is that you're creating an entity that, um, you know, creates a shield between the business debts and liabilities and your personal assets. Um, you may remember a few elections ago, Mick Romney was, uh, uh, ripped up and down uh, for saying that corporations are people too. Uh, the strange thing is, under the law, that that's actually accurate. They're considered people, uh, and so if but even if the word problem, incorporation, right? If you take like corpse means body, right? Cor- incorporation yes. to embody. We are making, we're creating an entity, a legal entity. So in a way, it, like it's a person in that it can own things, right? And it right. exists as. Uh, you know, and then, then th- with the sole proprietorship, it's like you are solely, you know, in the word sole proprietorship, you are solely responsible for the ownership. I own a house, I also own a business, whereas in, in everything in it, whereas LLC, all right, the limited liability corporation, and the name even tells you what it's there for. It's to limit your liability. It owns the stuff. S Corp, I assume, is a similar deal. 
but I don't right. have one. Am I on the right track here? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so if you, you can think of it really simply. Let's say you launch, um, you know, shop. You want to do sell something on, pod, on uh, Shopify. Let's say it's a shirt and it has some kind of a phrase on it. And uh, another company looks at that and says, hey, that's very similar to our phrase. We're suing you for trademark infringement. Well, if you don't have an LLC or an S-Corp, all of your personal assets are exposed. So if they win the lawsuit, you lose your house and everything else. If you have an LLC or an S-Corp, uh, you don't. You do lose the business and the assets there, but you still have uh, you know, everything behind that, all your personal assets, your car, your savings, and things of that sort. So that's kind of the distinction. All right, devil's advocate question. Is there any reason I should use or consider a sole proprietorship, or is that just verboten? Uh, well, finances. I mean, when you start out, I could give you a long list of you know legal steps that you should take, um, you know, and you'll need the fifteen thousand to twenty five thousand dollars to do it. And most listeners, particularly with the web, because it's such a great medium for starting new businesses, just don't have that kind of cash. Um, so, you know, with the S corp and the LLC, should you start one, you know, before you launch your business? Absolutely. If you don't have the money, you know, then do it as soon as you can. Or consider buying liability insurance. You can get liability insurance for you know hundred to two hundred bucks a month. Uh, it sounds like a lot, but what liability insurance will do is if you get sued, not only is it going to pay any settlement or judgment up to the limits, which is usually a million dollars, but it'll pay for your defense attorney, which is very important because, as you know, attorneys were not cheap. Um, and so having that that basis of money there to pay that attorney is, you know, makes a huge difference in defending a case. Do you have a recommendation for business insurance? <laughs> I don't. Just because of lawyers, we have unique insurance. We have what's called errors and omissions insurance. It's very unique to our industry. Well, most professionals, doctors have the same thing. Um, so I don't have the general business liability uh, policies that uh, online businesses would have. But if you search for them, there are a couple of different companies online that purport to sell them. I'm not endorsing them. These are just companies I know about. Uh, one is called Hiscox, H-I-S-C-O-X.com. Uh, and you should be able to, uh, there's another one. I can't remember the name of the other one, but if you look at his cocks, you'll see others advertised right around it. It's one of those companies. Um, and, but more realistically, you can talk to a broker in your area, just ask around to people who they use for liability insurance for their business. Uh, and they should be able to identify somebody. And then that person can go shop for different policies for you. And that way you're, you're going to get probably the better price. Um, so that's probably the best way to go. Okay. So I've got, I need business insurance. I can get it through, you know, a broker or, uh, like his cock specializes in small business liability insurance. Um, I should probably skip the sole proprietorship. Now, how do I choose between, all right. So I need to incorporate. How do I choose between S Corp and LLC? You know, I need, I want to protect my personal assets. So number one, doing this, regardless of whether I do an S Corp or an LLC, I'm separating my, my business and personal assets because I own the business and then the business owns its its business affairs and things. Correct. Uh, so corporations are um, uh, historical entities. If you think to the movies and you see the old uh, you know attorneys in England with the white wigs and what have you, uh, those are corporations. Corporations have been around for hundreds of years. They're very formal entities. Uh, they're not very friendly to businesses. It's a small businesses. You have to have uh, quarterly meetings. You have to follow all these rules, essentially. Kind of a pain in the rear. Um, the S that you hear with the corporation, the S is just a tax designation. It refers to part of the tax code. Um, so it's 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 a good entity um, you know, to operate under for certain tax reasons, which we'll talk about in a second. Limited liability company. Um, every state has them now. Everybody hears about them, and they're they're purported to help small businesses. That may be true. The thing to understand about limited liability companies is they've only been around for about 40 years. 
Uh, Wyoming was the first com- uh, state to actually pass laws giving rise to the LLC. And they did it because they were trying to attract business. Um, so each state has its own LLC law. And in some states, it makes sense to be an LLC. In other states, it doesn't. In California, where I am, for instance, you have to pay an annual $800 fee just to have an LLC. Um, and that's before taxes or anything else. Um, so you, you kind of have to look around. It makes sense to speak with the local business attorney. And they'll give you an idea which one's best. Um, but either of the entities is going to give you protection from liability, which is really what you're after. And that just kind of boils down to, you know, the best approach from a tax standpoint. Um, and then, you know, with the recent tax code changes that we had, uh, you know, it's really raised a huge issue because um, both of these entities are what are called pass-through entities. It means when you file taxes, you're going to file information returns. Um, for the business, and that just tells the IRS basically, here's the revenue, here are the deductions, yada, yada, yada. And then you're actually going to report and pay taxes on your personal returns. Um, and in the new Trump tax code, um, you're going to be able to claim a 20% deduction on your income, which is huge. That did not exist before. And so what that means basically is if you make $300,000 in a year um, coming in, you're going to be able to t- take a deduction for $60,000. And that's a massive deduction. So these entities are very, they've become much more uh, interesting, if you will, compared to something like a traditional C-Corp where that's not the case, where you don't get the deduction. Um, now, the thing to understand is, of course, they're, we're talking about the tax code, so there's going to be little loops and requirements and everything else. If you don't have a CPA already, go get one. CPA is one of the most valuable things you can get. First of all, yes, they can cost you money, but their fees are tax deductible. And two, you want to go into them at the beginning of the year and say, here's my business. Here's what I'm doing. You know, how should I position all of this to save money? It, it's saving money. If you complain about your taxes and you don't have a CPA, that's on you um, because your CPA can position your business in different ways to save you just tons of money. Uh, and so, you know, go talk to them, go find out how that deduction works and find out what little loops, you know, little loops you have to jump through and you know, all the little steps you have to take to qualify for it. Uh, and those steps typically have to be done in the first 90 days of each calendar year, which means by the end of March. So you definitely want to take advantage of this. A 20% deduction is huge. <laughs> it will save you a ton of money. So get out there and get it. Oh, yeah. It, it's massive and we're we're excited for it. Um, but yeah, to your point, we, you know, I, I jumped between, uh, you know, right away, first thing we did early on was establish an LLC. Okay, good. We got that far. But then we we're terrible at bookkeeping. So made my life one, much easier once I got a bookkeeper. Um, and had to, you know, I jumped between, uh, three CPAs before I found one that like that really had the experience and understood, uh, what we were doing. And by doing so, saved me a, a ton of money that I had no idea could be saved. No, absolutely. And, and you point out an excellent point about CPAs, which is, uh, a lot of CPAs are not going to know the internet business. And so you're going to need to kind of hop around and look for them. You might even, you know, do a, I don't know, CPA internet lawyer search on Google and then, you know, run results through Yelp to see if you can identify somebody. Uh, in San Diego, there's a gentleman named Dave Heistein, um, who's a CPA and he deals almost primarily with internet business models. And so that's great, but you're going to, you know, you want to find somebody local if possible. Um, because yeah, again, they can really position you and really save you big bucks. No, absolutely. Uh, okay. So then, you know, I've, I've done everything right. And I've got my my S corp or my LLC and my business insurance and my taxes are all in order. So I don't. I mean, if you the way to know if you have an issue is do you stress about your taxes? And if you do, it means you're you're doing something wrong. Like I used to worry about it all the time, and then once I figured out, all right, I've got a bookkeeper and I've got you know a, a CPA that I am confident in. I now I don't worry about it, 
Right. So I think <laughs> the, that's the test. No, I think you're. I think you're right. I think the other thing, uh, you know, whenever we have a discussion of legal issues or tax topics, not only can it be you know ungodly boring, but uh, it can be a little scary. Uh, these are just to do topics for your business. These are not things you know to terrify you, not to start a business or you know to change your mind in that regard. You know, there's just to do things you have to do. I'm an attorney. I don't like dealing with taxes. You know, but I'm the same as you. I have a bookkeeper. You know, and I just shove it off to the side and it's something that has to be done and you do it. Um, so don't let any of this, you know, deter you from starting, you know, a new, a new business online, you know, whatever that may be. Um, these are just to do topics that you have to get through. And the thing is, once you get them set up, usually they just automatically run on their own. Uh, absolutely. And I will say, I'll, I'll plug uh, Bench right now for bookkeeping online. They have a Shopify integration. They get it. They are uh, extremely affordable and convenient bookkeepers. And I've used them for a couple of years now and I've Good, good luck with it. So I'll, I'll include that in here uh, in the resources in the show notes. All right. So I did everything right. You know, the previous stuff, it, when you're throwing it all out there, it can sound scary. It's really not. It, it is a series of jobs to be done um, and you get a professional to tackle it for you. And it's not particularly onerous um, or expensive. You know, it depends on the state. Like you know, the, the LLC filing fee can be – varies wildly between states. Um, OK. So I, I, I did everything right. And then I've got um, – I have a series of info products and uh, both of them have, have been stolen and are out there on the web, not just for – not for free, being resold at a lower price than I was selling them for, um, which I take as an honor and that I was important enough to do this in that one of my, my info products, uh, E-Commerce Hacks Weekly, is a series of 52 videos delivered over – delivered weekly over a year. Someone took the time to package them, spend a year gathering them, and package it all up in one one convenient package. So I have done uh, – uh, I've sent some – I have emailed a few of these people when they make it – because some of them are very polite criminals. They say, oh, if we're selling your stuff and you don't want us to, you send us an email request, we remove it. Some of them do. Um, others, there there is no such option. Well, what the heck do I do? Yes, well, I know. I'm, I have to tell you, I'm just shocked to learn that somebody, you know, copied your stuff. <laughs> um, the internet, you know, right-click save uh, is is the copyright infringement uh, mecca of of the world, and probably always will be. It's easy to copy and republish, and frankly, if you put it out on the web, um, you know, the first time you find your stuff copied somewhere, you're going to be very emotional about it. You just have to kind of calm down and learn this is just the way the internet works. Um, you know, there are bots and everything else that go out and do it. Sometimes it's people doing it manually, like you were talking about with your weekly course. Um, you know, and it just is what it is. The The way to address it really is through the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, the DMCA. Uh, the DMCA is a federal law in the United States, and it was enacted in 1998 to try to address the situation of, okay, we have this new medium, this thing called the Internet that looks like it has commercial uh, possibilities. You know, how do we let companies grow without just getting stomped into the ground with, you know, endless copyright infringement lawsuits? Because anybody looking at the web would realize, you know, infringement, copyright infringement is going to be a huge issue. Um, and so the way the DMCA works is basically, well, there are a bunch of different sections. The section we're interested in is called Section 512. And what it does is it, it basically it says if you are a website or an internet connected platform, such as an app, um, and you allow users to post what we call user-generated content to your site, um, you cannot be held liable for that if you follow a certain takedown process. 
And so if you think of Facebook, Facebook has 1.5 billion users, whatever the number is these days. There's no way they can look at everything that's being posted. So instead, they have a notice and a um, an agent that's listed. And if you see your stuff copied, you send a notice to them uh, saying as much. And you list you know, where your original content is on the web, you know, the page where the copied content is, and a couple of other things. And then they will typically take down that content. And there's a process which we could discuss. In your case, where, where courses are being stolen, um, you know, you're right. You go to that site, and some of them are very polite. They have a DMCA takedown page, which is kind of funny because the DMCA takedown page is supposed to be filed with the passive uh, party there, not with the party that's actually stealing the content. Um, but nonetheless, if you can use that and they do take it down, do it. I mean, you're really your goal here. The idea, everybody gets fired up. Let's sue everybody. Okay, well, you know, I need 25 grand, uh, and your total fees by the end of this are probably going to be. You know, 150 grand, you know, so do you have that money? Most people are going to say no. Um, and so, you know, the question is, how do you get it down quickly? You, you can go to these sites and you serve uh, takedown notices um, and they'll take them down. With the sites that will not take them down, what you really want to do is um, go through a Whois search and you're trying to find their servers. And you'll see their servers listed typically in a Whois search. Uh, and when you find that host, you go to the host and you file a DMCA takedown notice. Now, the way the DMCA works is it tells, it, it gives sites immunity uh, or any, any, they're called internet service providers and a host would count, uh, but only if they follow the takedown uh, process. And the takedown process works as follows. I receive a complaint from you about somebody stealing your course. I'm a host. I look at the complaint, the complaint, you know, list of things it's supposed to list. Um, and then I automatically take down that content. And here's where people get confused because of YouTube and other groups that don't do this. Under the law, that company has to automatically take it down. They don't look at it and determine is it copyright infringement or not. They just take it down. That's what the law requires. And then at that point, they send a notice off to the offending party and saying, hey, we received a copyright infringement uh, complaint regarding this stuff that you posted. You need to either explain this or we're just going to keep it down. Uh, and so with the host, the way that works is you file your complaint with the host. The host automatically takes down that page or from that site or even the site entirely, depending on the host. And at that point, your content is down. Now, that party can try to file a counter notice, but 99.9% .9 of cases, they're not because they stole it. You know, they don't have any basis um, for addressing that. And so that'll take care of the problem. In some cases, if you're really, really lucky, somebody overseas will not only steal your content, um, but they'll use a server. They're what we call black hat server groups. Um, they're set up in China and Russia and other places uh, that, that just aren't going to comply with any takedown requests. Remember, the DMCA is a U.S. law. It's not a law for Russia or any of these other places. So in that situation, uh, we do what all good lawyers do, which is um, we hunt the money. So how are they making money from it? So I'll give you an example. I represent somebody who is very well known in the uh, course industry, and uh, he issues courses you know, five or six times a year. And people steal their, his course and, you know, it goes on and on and on. So I'm doing this all the time. And we just ran into a situation where it was a site that was offshore and it was uh, a host that was offshore, one of these black hat entities. So what are you going to do? Well, fortunately, we found out that they were transacting sales through PayPal. Ah. Yes. And so you can see where this goes. So I contact PayPal and PayPal's response is, you know, we're not involved, you know, we're just the, the payment transactor. And my response to them was, well, you're also going to be the co-defendant in the lawsuit that we file. 
and we're going to, you know, this is our public relations firm. He's going to be on all these different TV stations, you know, explaining how PayPal is facilitating copyright infringement. <laughs> you know, and you go down this road and, you know, you have these conversations. And sure enough, you know, PayPal suddenly decides, well, you know, we're no longer going to process uh, transactions on this site. And, you know, capitalism is a beautiful concept because whether you're a thief or you're legitimate, if you can't make money off of it, you're probably not doing it. Hmm. And so, so that resolved that situation. Uh, a variation of that is if you see them monetizing through affiliate programs or AdSense or something like that, you can contact those companies as well, and they will often shut them down because uh, they just don't want to deal. You know, those companies don't need that aggravation. Uh, they don't want to be dragged into a lawsuit over some little, you know, um, excuse my French peckerhead, out, you know, in some foreign country who's doing this kind of stuff. Uh, so the DMCA is very valuable from you know that approach. So the DMCA is this this great tool in my toolbox. Um, I don't have to be a lawyer to write and send a, a a takedown notice, correct? Well, I would strongly encourage everybody listening to contact me and spend you know a thousand dollars doing it. But uh, in the real world, uh, yeah, no, you can find the form is literally it's a, a static form online. You can just do a search for DMCA takedown notice. And you'll see uh, the list. You just have to – there's like certain steps you have to take, things that you have to provide. Uh, it's just like doing a declaration for, for something like a notary. So, yeah, there's nothing really really to it. You can do it for free. Uh, yeah, and in, in Shopify's instance, they have the um, – there's a form. You go online. It's like slash legal slash DMCA. And it's just notice and takedown procedure. And it's an online form. You fill it out and you say like here's my issue. Um, and uh, then, then they tackle it for you. And I have right. seen – you know, I've, I've seen instances, uh, one where I had a, a friend with a very successful app um, who's been on the show, and he found someone who, uh, like, lifted his code entirely to make the same app. And he was really upset about it. I said, send the takedown notice. Sure enough, send the takedown notice, all taken care of, no problem. Um, yeah, I think there's, you know, there's something to, to keep in mind also. Um, well, there's two things about copyright that are important to mention. One is um, look at what the infringement is. Actually, really pay attention to it. Just, just don't freak out right away. Um, and, you know, I use the example of I got somehow mistakenly got involved in representing two bands, and one of the bands always is freaking out because they see their content, you know, up on YouTube. They may do a show. Somebody shoots it with a camera, you know, and they're you know the argument is always you know let's let's file takedown notices. But if you actually look at the video and you look at what the person is saying, you know, they're saying, hey, I discovered this band. This is a great band. You guys should you know look for this band, you know, pick up their CDs or whatever. Well, do we really want to send cease and desist and, you know, copyright infringement complaints to a fan? You know, somebody who's, right. you know. Yeah. I mean, such a, like in that situation, they're, it's like, okay, yeah, I, I get that you want to protect your art, but they're doing content marketing for you for free because they're a super fan. Why are you discouraging them from it? Right. And you can contact them and say, hey, you know, we just want to let you know that, you know, uh, you know, we're a little concerned about copyright and we just want to say, you know, that we're giving you permission to use this and blah, 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 blah. And by the way, you know, we're going to be in your town on some date, you know, uh, why don't you come, you know, backstage and meet us or here's a free T-shirt or something of that sort. You know, so you turn it into a positive, uh, you know, and get them excited, you know, about, you know, spreading the word more. I mean, most most businesses would kill for that kind of publicity. Um, you know, that's really kind of what you're after. Um, the second thing that about the DMCA that's important to mention, uh, it's kind of a dry thing, but it's important if you have a Shopify site because it, it, it'll, it'll explain kind of one side of it um, that can be damaging to your business. 
So as you pointed out, you have a course and suddenly you start seeing it be uh, being republished everywhere. You'll be shocked to know that many of these sites that republish and sell your course illegally are actually owned by one entity. Hmm. Um, and so what's going on is you run into what we call the whack-a-mole situation, which is, you know, you start filing takedown notices against these 10 sites. And after two months, you get all the, all the, con- the courses taken down. And then suddenly the course appears on 10 new sites. Um, <laughs> and so it's kind of this never ending process. Now there's a clause in the DMCA called the repeat that is, infringement. That's actually exactly what happened. <laughs> yes. No, this is very, very common. This is the same thing with mugshot sites. This is why you don't pay to get your mugshot taken down. Um, but anyways, it's, uh, so yeah, this whack-a-mole problem. So the DMCA has a clause in it called the repeat infringers uh, requirement, and it requires sites such as Shopify to, uh, go ahead and establish a policy that says, if we receive X number of complaints against a person, um, you know, we will terminate them. This is very important. They will terminate you. And when they terminate you, you have no recourse. So you have a Shopify site. You've built it up over five years. You're making six figures. Everything's glorious. Um, and you receive, you know, four or five complaints in a year. You don't do anything about them. You just say, oh, you know, I'm sorry. And you take down you know, whatever the product is that somebody's contesting is infringing on their copyright. And then you get a notice from, cop- from Shopify saying, you violated our repeat infringer policy, and therefore we are terminating your site or we're ter- terminating your store. Uh, and that's it. You're done. Your store is gone. Your revenue is gone. You are finished. Um, so you need to be cognizant of anybody making a copyright infringement um, complaint against you and you need to either speak with the lawyer or you need to respond to it quickly um, because you want to fight those um, because if you get again you, the number is fairly low it may be as low as two complaints in, th- in three years right it depends on, depends on the specific company um, this also applies to your social media accounts uh, if you have you know instagram or you know Facebook or whatever it is, Twitter, um, they all have the same repeat infringer requirement. And so they have internal policies. And I get calls at least a couple times a month where somebody's built up, you know, 150,000 followers on Instagram and Instagram closes their account. And when they close that, it's gone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. There's no, there's no recovery process. It's just, it is done. It's gone. Right. And that's it. And I did, I, I saw this happen to uh, one person and it was really just like, they did not they weren't they were not intentionally being a bad actor. They just thought, well, like I I can retweet stuff, I could share stuff. Can't I just save and repost repost people's images? And they you'd do it to the wrong person. Um and they they will send uh takedown notices. Um okay, so coming to the the end of our time together, but I have a, a couple clarifying questions. Could so with the the DMC takedown notices, um so I yeah, could a could a bad actor use the since you said they can't, they get blindly enforced and then it's up to you to defend it once it's been filed? Um, could a a bad actor use them in a nefarious way to hassle competitors? Like I rip off somebody else's stuff and then claim they rip me off. This is yes. a hypothetical. That's uh, real world. Yes. No. No. What? It, yes. So what? What's the? What's the solution? How do you defend against it? Do I just keep my fingers crossed and then what do I do? You file counter notices. Um, so you get a notice. Somebody's filed you know, a copyright infringement takedown notice against you. You have a right to file what's called a counter notice. And so you file that counter notice and say, 
you know, this is nonsense. This is my content or, you know, whatever the reason. Uh, and then at that point, the site, in this case, Shopify, let's say, will send a notice to the person who filed the original complaint saying that you have contested the claim. That person then has, uh, I think it's 10 business, 10 to 14 business days to go file a federal lawsuit against you for copyright infringement. Now, there's a couple of things to understand about that. In the United States, for some strange reason, you, um, when you create content, so let's say you create a product or something of that sort that has copyright elements in it, once you've created that and offered it to the public, you automatically own the copyright in it. However, to actually sue somebody for copyright infringement, you have to have registered with the copyright office. Uh, and you're supposed to do that when you create the content, which almost nobody does. Um, so if, you, if you're going to actually sue somebody and you have to have, have registered with the copyright uh, office, they allow an expedited registration process. It costs 750 bucks per thing that you're copywriting, whatever that item is. Um, so for that person to make the decision to actually go file against you, you know, they're going to have to start putting money on the ground um, to actually do that. Now, here's the other thing. Copyright damages. Everybody loves to scream copyright infringement, but copyright damages are a tricky little deal. Um, if you register within three months of creating your product, you can get what are called statutory damages. It's between $200 in infringement and $150,000 in infringement, and a judge or a jury will make that determination. If you don't do that registration in the first 90 days, and most people do not, then you have to prove actual damages. Right, and how do you do that? How do you do that, particularly on the web? Um, now, if you have a product and you've been selling it for five years and you know somebody claims that that's infringing on their product and they prove that, then they can look at your revenues. Um, but if you have something like an image on a blog post, well, what's the value of an image on a blog post? Not a lot. Right. So that person that's trying to sue you, well, not that person, but their lawyer <laughs> is going to be looking at that and saying – uh, you know, like I said before, I'm going to need 25 grand and, you know, this is going to cost you a hundred grand and you have to pay me, you know, are they going to do that? Because what's their return on investment? You know, if they spend a hundred grand pursuing you and, you know, they get back $1,200, well, that doesn't make any sense. Um, so copyright infringement is largely a game of bluff. Uh, and you know, hmm. you're look, looking at the facts and trying to really determine, you know, did they file in a timely manner that gives them statutory damages? If not, their position is usually fairly weak. Um, so you get into this kind of game of, you know, uh, who's going to call who's bluff. And I would definitely speak with an attorney before playing that game. You want to know, you know, all the ins and outs of that. Absolutely. Okay. We've got final question. Um, well, what, uh, what do you wish every Shopify store owner would do? Or alternatively, you've got this platform. What uh, What's one piece of misinformation you'd like to correct around this space? Um, you know, I don't have a personal store on Shopify. Does Shopify allow you to post privacy policies? Oh, yeah, oh yes. It's got a privacy policy generator um, uh, that really it creates one for you in the back end. But then, you know, a lot of people do nothing with it. Um, right. Like part of our standard operating procedure in creating a store is we add links in the you know the foot of the site. We'll add links for returns, terms of service, and privacy policy. Right. Okay. So your privacy policy. Here's a little nasty little trick in internet law. Um, the privacy policy. A lot of people will post. You know, provide us with your email address or what have you, so we can market to you, and we promise not to sell, share, or, or rent your information. It's a noble gesture. Uh, and it seems to make sense, but of course we're talking about the law. So, you know, there's a trap there somewhere and the trap comes if at some point in the future you want to sell, uh, that business, 
And now when people talk about selling a business, they think of it as the sense that I would buy your LLC from you. Right. That's not really, that's not really what happens because I don't want your debts. So instead what I'm going to do is buy your assets. And so we're going to look at and value those assets. And for most online businesses, um, the asset really isn't the website because everything's module these days. You know, there's just really not a lot of value there unless you're doing something very unique. The value is in your client list, your customer list. Uh, and if you have an email newsletter list or something of that sort, you know, those people, that's where the value is. Now, if you've promised in your privacy policy not to sell, share, or rent that information, you can't sell that. Uh, oh. And there. <laughs> And there's case law on this. There's a famous site, a famous case is true.com was a dating site. They were owned by a parent company. The parent company ran into financial problems and got dragged into bankruptcy. And once the parent company went, all the subsidiaries went as well. Uh, and a smart attorney at another dating site called Plenty of Fish saw the opportunity. And for dating sites, you know, really the value in the dating site is how many people do you have on your dating site looking for, you know, their prince or princess. Um, you know, and you want as many people as possible. So plenty of fish tried to buy the member database from two.com for $700,000 and the Texas attorney general objected saying no Two.com had promised, you know, all the users that they would not sell, share or rent their information. And the bankruptcy court upheld that objection and two.com's database, their most important asset became worthless. Well, the thing I've, <laughs> I've gotten out of this is doing business online without an internet lawyer such as yourself is quite uh, quite the risky proposition. Um, you have a, a special offer you have included in the show notes I saw about uh, a, a telephone consultation. Can you tell me about that? Sure. Obviously, all this stuff can be confusing or a little overwhelming. Again, don't let it scare you. But if you have questions, uh, you know, about anything or about anything mentioned in the show, just uh, contact me. I'll be happy to give you a free consultation. Very good. Richard, uh, it's been enlightening. I have learned, I've learned a lot. And uh, th well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's been an, an honor and pleasure. Sure. No, it's a pleasure being on. And uh, if you're going to contact me, the place to reach me is uh, SoCal, like Southern California, internetlawyer.com. Uh, just you know, use the contact form and I'll get back to you. Oh, right. Of course I should have asked. SoCalInternetLawyer.com. I have included it in the show notes. Go there. Check it out. Reach out to Richard. Get your free phone consultation. Make sure to mention mention the show. And uh, again, Richard, thank you. It has been a pleasure. Hey, thank you for having me on. Before we go, I wanted to tell you about our friends at Zapiet who helped make this episode possible. Have you ever wanted to offer local pickup in your store? Or how about scheduled local deliveries? Zapiet's easy-to-use app helps thousands of merchants do just that, offer store pickup and delivery to their Shopify customers right in their store. They've just launched a massive update that adds a ton of new features. To learn more about it and start your 14-day free trial and get 10% off if you stick with it, head to zapiet.com slash podcast. That's Z-A-P-I-E-T dot com slash podcast. Our program was produced today by Paul Rita. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high-quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.